Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right. Hey, I am so glad that you're here. Today is the kickoff of our brand new series, Followers, and I am so excited to be walking through this with you over the next 12 weeks. I love it when we get into a long series. It's going to be amazing. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here. I just want you to hear me on the front end. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey walking in today, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. And our desire is to simply meet you where you are, help you take some next steps toward God. And so today, as we kick off this series, I'm super pumped. But before we do that, I want to celebrate a few things, okay? First of all, uh, man, God has just been using our church in some big ways to uh, help with some Marshall Fire relief. And so I just want to celebrate. Listen, we're not pack rats. We don't just keep junk all over the place. When you walk down the hallway to the bathrooms, all of those are supplies for families in need. And I just want to celebrate. We've had tons of people here at City Church giving their time throughout the week to deliver supplies to families in need. So can we just put our hands together for the radical generosity of people with their time and energy and resources? Again, you don't just give to a church, you give through a church. And if you're interested in helping with some like Marshall Fire Relief, there's things constantly coming. But this week on Thursday, we actually have uh, the opportunity. We're receiving an entire truckload of supplies. There's a giant sea container in our parking lot. And so this Thursday at 2 p.m., we need hands to be able to unload uh, all of these supplies that are coming to City Church to put in that container. And we're kind of serving as a distribution center for a lot of these families that are in need. And so if you're available Thursday at 2 p.m., you can use that connection card, circle the letter S at the bottom there, and we will get you more information on what's going on on Thursday. Also, if you're not free on Thursday, but you still want to help, you're welcome to circle the letter S, and we'll just get you information as these opportunities come up to serve individual families. And man, God's using it in big ways. So way to go, team. Grateful for you. Also, I want to celebrate. We had a night of worship and prayer this last Friday, and God showed up big. I just want to put our hands together for how God showed up and our team that worked really hard to put it together. So put our hands together for that. And uh, we intentionally took that time because today we're kicking off 21 days of prayer and fasting. And Emily mentioned it. There's a book that you can receive as you're leaving if you didn't pick it up uh, on the way out last week. And it's a 21 days of deeper prayer. And so all of this has been tied together. And if you, if you missed last week's gathering, you can go back and catch our, our, our podcast or the YouTube channel and catch the message because the last half of last week's message was kind of an update on, on what it means to fast, why we fast, a little bit of teaching on that so that we can get the most out of it. And so it's starting today. If you haven't picked what you're doing today, then, then just make a decision by the end of the day and get into it with us. It's going to be super life-giving. Can't wait to go through that with you guys. Um, and then also, I just want to celebrate the launch of City Groups. Can we put our hands together for City Groups? Come on. <laughs> City Groups are such a life-giving space. And honestly, you'll hear more about this today. Um, um, but, but we think that circles are better than rows. And so we love to gather. We love what God do, does on a week. And we love to be shoulder to shoulder. But we also love and value the space of being face to face. And that's what City Groups provide is a group of, you know, 8 to 12 people. And we, we would say, functionally, like, like if you only had one time slot a week to give, we would rather you go to a City Group than come to a weekend gathering. That's how much we believe in them. Now, don't get me wrong. I want you here, right? But, but genuinely, community is that much more important that we are not just living life 
uh, as followers of Jesus, but we're living life together. And so if you're not in a city group, we'd love to get you more information on that. Also, I just want to celebrate kind of the initiative that our community is taking. Our group leaders are great facilitators in that space of just building community and, and sharing life together. Uh, but then one of the things that happens out of city groups is as you start to live life together, you start to develop what we call 3 a.m. friends, those people that you can call when the bottom falls out, those people that are in your life, and you can be one of those to someone else as well. And so we're seeing a lot of cool things happen in a season where just people in our city groups are initiating community outside of the group time. It's one thing to get together for an hour and a half and you know maybe share a meal or whatever and, and grow in that space, but it's another thing to build friendships that then move outside of those spaces. And so we're seeing that happen. There was a big party after our night of worship. A bunch of people went salsa dancing, and it was awesome, I heard, because uh, <laughs> uh, I, I grew up a white kid and I still am, you know, so I just can't can't do it. But what's really cool is like some of you, you know, you're introverts and you're like, yeah, I'm not about that life. That's what's cool. It's like we're watching different people just use their gifts. Some of the extroverts, they're out and they're salsa dancing and throwing a party after night of worship on a Friday and other people are getting together one-on-one for coffee or a small game night or dinner. The point is there's an opportunity to initiate community. I want to celebrate those of you that are using your gifts and your personality to do that. And also want to lastly celebrate that someone texted me this week and they, they're just kind of trying to find their space in community. And, and I think we all know that like community takes time. Right? Like, like, unless you're just a massive extrovert, like, you don't just walk into a room and make 10 friends, right? It takes time to build community. And so someone was pretty hesitant about going to a community this week and, and quite frankly, a little skeptical if we're just being honest, right? They were just like, ah, you know, we'll see if, we'll see if this works. Kind of walked in looking for things to pick apart, walked, walked in looking for, you know, maybe an opportunity to walk out. Um, and then I got a text uh, later that evening and they said, man, not only did the group leaders do an incredible job of, of helping us facilitate and build community, but God showed up, and I think this is the community that I need to be in. And so I was like, yeah, way to go for just giving it a shot and giving God a shot. So can we put our hands together for how God uses community, how God uses you? Remember, like, like you don't just go to a church, right? But, but we are the church, and so you are a gift. You are gifted, and so when you show up in community, not only is it for you, but God wants to use you for others. Okay, that was my commercial for City Groups. You guys ready to get into this, this talk today? I am pumped about it. So Jesus was a lot of things, right? Think about it. Jesus, well, I mean, I don't know what you believe about Jesus, but he was a lot of things, at least, um, at least what he called himself and what others called him. He was the Son of God. He was called the Messiah. Um, he, he was also called a rabbi. I don't, I don't know if you knew this, and we're not familiar with this This language, but over and over again, actually out of the 90 interactions that we see in the New Testament of dialogue with Jesus, 60 plus times, he is referred to as rabbi or teacher. And so we're getting into this this conversation starting today of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And what does it mean to follow Jesus together? Hence the little little S on the end. You guys like that? That's my idea. Every now and then, I'll have a good one. You're like, no, we don't like it. It's okay. Don't tell me. Um, all right. So, so listen, listen, I, I don't know what you know about Jesus, but Jesus didn't show up. He wasn't like you know, on the scene, hey, everybody, you know, believe in me and go to heaven when you die. That wasn't the invitation, right? Jesus invited people to follow him. We just sang that song. I love that song. I have decided to follow Jesus, and it's got that cool mix. Oh, man, it's so good. All right, so let me just show you some text. Mark chapter 1, we're going to get into it. And if you're kind of wrestling with faith, you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, you're not sure how you, you, know, you feel about community and church and all of that, just the invitation today is totally open to kind of see what Jesus invites us into. And maybe you'll find out that, that some of your understanding of some of your experiences is just a little bit off of what Jesus actually invites us into. Uh, and some of us, I think we're just going to have a clarifying moment of what it means to follow Jesus. So Mark chapter 1, just a couple of different... Uh, uh, moments of Jesus passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of, uh, of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and you'll go to heaven when you die. 
Believe in me. You'll go to, what do you say? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Mark chapter two, let me show you. He just over and over again, he went out again beside the sea. All the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them because he's a rabbi and that's, that's what he does. He's a teacher, right? And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And what's really cool is we have like, you know, fishermen over here who are just normal dudes doing their normal job. And then you got Matthew over here or Levi, who's a tax collector who everybody hates. And so we see Jesus extending this invitation to anyone and everyone. Uh, Mark chapter 3, look at this. It says, uh, uh, when, when Jesus went up on the mountain, he called to him those whom he desired. We looked at this on, on Friday as kind of the intro into this. Man, it was so, so good that, that Jesus calls to himself those whom he desired, that you are loved. That God desires to have a relationship with you. And they came to him, they responded, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Over and over again, the invitation is not to do stuff for Jesus, but to be with Jesus. We're going to look at that today. And then out of the overflow of being with Jesus, out of relationship, not religion, out of relationship, not performance, out of relationship, not checking the boxes and how much good stuff have I done, the, the be with him part is our responsibility, and then Jesus carries it that he would send them out to preach. That word in the Greek means to make public through. So, so not that he would send them out to do what I'm doing on stage here. This is just a very small picture of what Jesus actually is inviting them into. There was no platform. There was no PA system. There was no auditorium and a big gathering in this manner. He was sending, sending them out to make his life public through them, that they would have authority to cast out demons and have spiritual power. Eight, Mark, Mark 8, verse 34, last one. Jesus Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You guys see the, the, the pattern, yeah? This language. For whoever would save his life, Jesus said, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels, that good news that he came to bring, will save it. For what does it profit a man, Jesus asked, to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So this, this term of a follower, or, or it's also referred to as being a disciple. That's what we're talking about today. That'll be the next slide. So this idea of being a, a disciple, this follower, what, what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? So the, the, the Hebrew word for disciple, what, what the first century ears would have been hearing, every time Jesus showed up and said, hey, follow me, it wasn't like, hey, click, click, you know, on Twitter, follow me. You know, like my stuff on Instagram, like, you know, like sit under me and, and kind of enjoy some of the stuff I have to say. It wasn't that kind of follow. The invitation was so very clear to the first century ears that would hear from a rabbi, follow me. And it was connected to this Hebrew word disciple, which was Talmudim. And this word, if you're taking notes, it, it means disciple or follower or, or student. Or I, I think the best word in the English that captures kind of the, the, the sum of this is apprentice. Right? Not, not, not just like a follower on social media, not just like a student like at CU, take some classes and check out and get my degree with Jesus, right? But, but an apprentice, to apprentice under Jesus, to learn the ways of Jesus, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. You guys with me? This is the invitation from Jesus. I don't know what the invitation has been to you. You and I live in this westernized, individualized culture where, where, where we kind of get mixed wires and mixed understandings of what we're talking about. So let me give you some backstory, a little bit of History Channel lesson here. In the first century, 
the discipleship idea here, that this invitation to be a Talmudim was so very clear. And the apex of the Jewish kind of education system had three different layers, okay? So I'm just going to kind of help you understand because this was so extreme. When Jesus walks around, he starts inviting people to follow him. No one did this in the way that Jesus was doing it. So, so again, if you're looking at like the, the original kind of Jewish education system, the first kind of elementary school level was this thing called Beit Sefer, okay? This is like, it means house of the book in Hebrew. And this was like elementary school for, for, for the, the, the Jewish audience, if you will. Um, and what's crazy is this is where they're learning kind of all the basic skills, like functional elementary school for our kids today. But it was all centered around the Torah, which is the first five books of your Bible. So if you have your Bible, you're going to look at the first five books, just kind of open that. By age 10, most if not all of the children that were going through Beit Sefer would have memorized the entire Torah. All five, the first five books, I mean, dude, that's, can you imagine Memorizing Leviticus, I don't even want to read it. I got to memorize it? I mean, it's amazing. The first five books, I mean, we, we can't even remember. I mean, it take us all year just to read the first five books, and they can memorize it by the, by the time they get age 10. So that, that explains what's wrong with our children today. That's a joke. Uh, <laughs> my kids are fine. Your kids are fine. So the second thing, kind of think of like uh, from elementary school to high school and college. So, so most people after this, that, that 10 to 12 age, they'd move into an occupation. They'd move into like a, a local apprenticeship to, you know, some kind of job. But if you were pretty good at school and you were learning and you were really getting it, you would move on to something called Beit Talmud. And this meant the house of learning. So not everybody got to graduate into Beit Talmud, but this would have been like high school and college mixed together. And this is when you were like 12 to 15 years old and you would memorize the entire Old Testament. Can you, can you imagine? Like that is, that is so hard to wrap my mind around. It takes me forever just to read it much less memorize it. And so again, that 12 to 15, if you were really good, you would graduate into Beit Talmud. And then the, oh, I mean, the elite, I mean, just the best of the best, the cream of the crop, I mean, a very, very small few would graduate from that space into the Talmudim. That word literally means disciple an apprentice, and this is actually directly under a rabbi. And so this is a really, really big deal for a rabbi to identify you, to sit down, to walk you through and say, let's see if you've got what it takes to follow me. They would grill you on everything. Do you know your Old Testament? Do you understand everything? Do you you get it all? And then if they liked you, you would be invited to be their Talmudim, their disciple, to follow me, literally to apprentice under that rabbi. And at this point, if you made it this far, which very few people did, there was three goals. Number one, be with your rabbi 24-7. Right? Everywhere the rabbi went, everything the rabbi did, be with your rabbi 24-7. Number two, become like your rabbi. Learn everything you can from them and do everything that they did. Hold the fork the same way. That's a joke. They don't have forks. All right. Yeah, anyway, the, the idea is that you would do everything like your rabbi, and then lastly, you would do what your rabbi did. Literally, the invitation to go and make disciples was not original with Jesus. I don't know if you knew that. But to go and make disciples was not original with Jesus. It was very common in this first century culture. And so to do what your rabbi did would would then to hopefully become a rabbi yourself, to gain your own followers, to have your own apprentices, to have your own disciples and do the same thing. So, little history lesson's over. Okay, check back in with me. I know your eyes are glazed over, but here we are. How do we get from first century Israel to to modern Boulder, Colorado? What does it mean to follow Jesus, to disciple 
under Jesus, to apprentice under Jesus. And the answer is to order our lives around the same three goals, right? I, I don't know where you're walking in and, and where this whole conversation lands with you on a priority list, but like this is like the center of the Tootsie Pop, okay? Like this is, this is the big deal. This is it. Not a thing that we add onto our list, but the center of our lives. The first thing is to be with Jesus. So when Jesus invites someone to follow him, he doesn't ask, are you a Christian? It's an invitation to be a disciple. In fact, uh, if you read the New Testament, disciple is used, I, I think, around 70 times, and the word Christian is used only three, and it's always in a negative context. And you and I live in a culture that has defined it in a very different way. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? The first thing is to be with Jesus, that, that it was always about relationship first. The first and primary goal of being a follower of Jesus is to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. John 15, Jesus said it this way, abide in me and I in you. That word abide, it means to remain or to stay, to make your home with, to lodge with. Again, the invitation would have been so clear, literally, everywhere Jesus, just be with me. And what did the disciples do? They did that over and over again. Jesus said, as, you, as the branch can't bear fruit, by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Whoever abides in me and I in him, that person will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus connects the relationship first. That, that as you and I get into the spiritual disciplines, we've been talking about this, right? These practices of silence and solitude and fasting. He's like, why are we doing these things? Because they constantly bring us back to a refocus of, of, of being with Jesus, that, that we're practicing, as Dallas Willard, Willard would say, the, the presence of God. Not, not just like, did I read a Bible in the morning or did I show up at church, but, but this constant awareness of and obedience to and response to the presence and the power of God in my life because of what Jesus has done. So, so again, don't, don't miss this. All the practices are a means to an end. Fasting and praying and, and, and the silence and solitude and the book that you're going to get on the way out. They're just a means to the end. The best part about following Jesus is Jesus. You guys with me on this? It's, it's not the things that he does for us. It's not the things we do for him. It's simply being with him. This is so backwards from the invitation of religion, which is to do things for him so that he likes you. That's not the invitation. The first one is to be with Jesus. The second invitation is to become like Jesus. When Jesus invites them to follow him, to become a disciple, the invitation is clear. This is a word you might be familiar with. It's uh, uh, this, this kind of churchy word or, or this Bible word of sanctification or, or, or maybe more modern language would be like spiritual formation. Again, this is like becoming more like Jesus. Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process, meaning it doesn't happen all at once, you don't just check a box, get baptized, and all of a sudden you're just, you know, Jesus 2.0. But, but, but the tradition is an increase, uh, of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. So here's the reality, guys. I don't, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, but we're all disciples. Regardless of whether you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, we're all disciples of, of something and someone. We're all being formed by something and someone. The question is who and by what? And I don't know about you, but I, I want more than behavior modification in my life. Like, like when it comes to following Jesus, I don't wanna just check boxes. Don't, don't get me wrong, I'm all about 
Like, I would love things to just kind of flip and be better, right? I would love to just be done with anger. I would love to just be the most patient person on the planet. I would love to be a good listener just overnight. But I want more than just behavior modification. I, I, want, I want internal transformation, like, like to actually be that kind of person, not just to do the thing, not, not just like I didn't respond in anger, but I actually am not an angry person. You see the difference? I, I want a deeper transformation than just checking some boxes, and that's what it means to become like Jesus. And here's the point. It takes practice. That's why we're calling them practices, spiritual disciplines. So, so, so hopefully you're getting the invitation that, that this is something we've got to work at. It doesn't happen overnight. That we, that this takes practice, and it also takes practice in community. That's why city groups are so valuable. We have to partner with God and the community around us to become who God wants us to be. We can't become who God wants us to be in isolation. We can't do it by ourselves. You can't practice the, the commands of loving one another by yourself. You can't get better at it without trying. We'll talk about this more. But again, becoming like Jesus. Now, the third thing is to do what Jesus did. Again, again what does it mean? All I'm doing today, guys, is laying out the goals for the year. So where are we going as a church? My goal for you and I is that we would be with Jesus daily and throughout our day, that we would increasingly become like Jesus according to his agenda, and then we would ultimately do what Jesus did. And these are not, you know, in a timeline, first three months, you know, we're being like Jesus. Second three months, we're becoming like Jesus. And, you know, at the end of the year, we're going to do some of what Jesus did. No, no, these are all happening simultaneously as we're being formed into who Jesus wants us to be. And again, you've got to ask the question, not what would Jesus do? It's a great question. But what would Jesus do if he were me? My stage of life, this season, my gender, my occupation, my personality, my gifts. What would Jesus do if he were me? That's what we're getting after. So this, this apprenticeship to do what Jesus did is to, to then carry out your master's work. Again, this is not lost in the first century years. But Jesus wasn't just a good teacher, right? He wasn't just a rabbi. He was the son of God. He was the Messiah. And so it wasn't just, you know, enough to learn about Jesus, but it was to join in with Jesus and his mission. He didn't just have a teaching that was good for people, but he had a mission that we are invited into. So the goal is not to just know more about Jesus by the end of the year. The goal is to know Jesus and join him in his work, that we know his heart. We know what it looks like to love and serve and live like Jesus. And that only happens through practice. Isn't it interesting? That the invitation from Jesus is first to follow me, no strings attached. And then, as he leaves this planet after his resurrection, his words are, go, and what? Make disciples. Make other Talmudim. Make other followers. Which is so crazy because only the best of the best, only the superstars were invited to go make disciples. And that's what's amazing about Jesus' invitation for you and I. Is he, he says anyone can do this. In fact, everyone should be doing this. This is not reserved for the best of the best. So the invitation here, hopefully, is clear that Jesus is not a hobby that we're invited into. That this is not, you know, hey, I'm into Jesus and rock climbing. <laughs> I'm into Jesus and cycling. I'm into Jesus and, and weightlifting, right? I'm into Jesus and I'm a foodie. You know, like, I, I don't know what it is for you, 
But Jesus is not a hobby in addition to the other things we do. We're invited to let Jesus be the center of our lives no matter where we are. So listen, everyone has a different occupation in the room. The invitation is not to be a pastor. The invitation is not just to plant a church or to do what I do. That's not the invitation at all. The invitation is to be who God has made you to be, but let Jesus be the focal point of your life wherever you are. So it's not like I have a job and I do this and I'm a Christian. It's I am a follower of Jesus everywhere I am, at my job, in my neighborhood, in my home, with my friends, with my extended family. Jesus is the focal, the center point. Everything about my life is centered on him. And again, we're asking the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? So let's look at the invitation one more time. Mark chapter 8. He calls the crowds to him with his disciples. Notice Mark makes a distinction here. He calls the crowds along with his disciples. And this is a literary device in order to cause you and I to pause and ask the question, which one are we a part of? See, see the crowds were kind of enamored with Jesus. They were, they were impressed by Jesus. I mean, he was a formidable teacher. I mean, he was impressive. He had thousands of people showing up to hear him talk, to see the miracles. But then there's also this this crew of disciples. Again, very clear what the invitation is, right? These people that have responded to the invitation to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. And I don't know what you hear when you read the disciples. My mind normally goes to like just the 12, if you're familiar with, like if you've been reading the Bible for a minute. But this represents hundreds or maybe even thousands of disciples at this point that, that are following Jesus. This is not just the 12. Those are actually, he, he moves them up and calls them apostles. They're going to be the leaders as the church launches. But, but for the the disciples, that's, that's a crowd of hundreds or thousands of people. And by the way, it's also men and women, which is so unheard of because there was not a single rabbi that we know of anyway from historical record that would have ever invited a woman to become a disciple. And Jesus is inviting men and women from every socioeconomic class, every background, no matter what they've done or haven't done or how shiny they looked on the outside or how terrible everybody thought they were. He's inviting all of them to be his disciples. And it is just confusing people, the religious people are mad about it, and everybody else is totally pumped about it. Like, I never thought I'd get to be, you know, a disciple. I mean, this is amazing. Didn't even graduate college, right? Like, this is awesome. So, Mark chapter 8, he says, as the crowds and disciples come, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So, the first invitation is to become a disciple not a Christian. I'm going to invite Daniel to come, and as he comes, we're just going to kind of sit in this invitation today, okay? The, first, the invitation from Mark 8 is to become a disciple, not a Christian. Here it is. I, I knew I wrote it down. So, so the word disciple is used 268 times in the New Testament. I was way off. <laughs> just making up stats up here. The word Christian is used three. We live in a culture where, you know, if you ask somebody if they're a Christian, it means, you know, I'll, you know do you believe you go to church, you know, maybe you live a semi-moral life, you know, and, and it's more about Jesus following you than you following Jesus. For the Western culture, that, that's what Christian is defined as. There was a study done by Gallup, a nationwide survey, and this is crazy, 76% of the people that took this survey nationwide identified as Christians. Again, this, this kind of very generic idea of, of what it means to believe or uh, have a semi-moral life aligned with maybe, maybe not you know, Muslim is maybe what they thought. But out of that survey, only 8% 
actually identified as being followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. So while I think there's a lot of people who identify as a Christian, the question is not, Jesus didn't invite us to be Christians. He invited us to be disciples. In fact, this idea that, that they could even be separate is totally alien to Jesus. There was no dual invitation. So as you and I wrestle with it, Dallas Willard, I think, says it well. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today, can you like sit in those words with me? The greatest issue out of all of our issues, out of all of the things in the world, the greatest issue with all of its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are, who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. That's the invitation. See, how could that be more important than some of our pressing needs? Because when we be with Jesus, when we start to become like Jesus, when we pick up and do what Jesus did, all of the greatest issues and needs of our world begin to be addressed in and through you and I. Because we are the church. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for the world. And Jesus has empowered us where we live, work, and play that we would push into every corner until it's in Boulder as it is in heaven and the West, and the world. And we're not the answer. We're not the heroes. Jesus is. But Jesus has a desire to work in and through you and I. So the first invitation, again, is that Jesus is, he's not looking for converts. He's looking for disciples. The second invitation is that it's open to anyone. Now, what does Jesus say in Mark 8? If anyone wants to come after me. And when Jesus said anyone, you know what he meant? like anyone, <laughs> like no matter where you've been, no matter what, what you've done, no, no, no matter what you believe today, right? He's inviting people who aren't even sure what they believe about Jesus just to take a step toward him. Anyone, the religious elite, the super critical, the super depressed, the hard on themselves, the depressed, the beaten, the abused, the abusers, he invites them all. No matter where you are, you're invited to follow Jesus. And the invitation is this. You follow me. You be with me. And I will do in and through you what you can't do for yourself. That's the invitation of Jesus. That's why we sit with him daily. That's why we fast to create a hunger and a desire to, to Put, a line, put aside our, our misaligned desires into, like we said last week, feast on the Spirit throughout our day. That's how we get in community. Because Proverbs says that iron sharpens iron. There's some things in me that need to be changed, and Jesus wants to do it through you. There's a humility that I experience in community that I can't learn in myself. And then we're sent out into a world with lots of issues, just like we have. But we get to carry a hope where we live, work, and play to shine a light, like Jesus would say. 
So today we, we, we have uh, baptisms happening right at the end of this service. And um, it's going to be a, an incredible moment to celebrate what Jesus has done on the outside. So baptism is a declaration, an identification with Jesus. I am with Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. Baptism doesn't make you a disciple. It's a declaration. Like my wedding ring is a declaration of my commitment to my wife. Baptism is an external declaration of the internal transformation that Jesus has begun. So we already have some people getting baptized today. If you are interested in being baptized, if you've never been baptized, or if you were baptized as a baby and you, know, you gave your life to Jesus and, and started following Jesus later, baptism is something we do after we've given our lives to Jesus. It's not special water, straight out of the tap. Okay, it's warm, which is the good news. We have, we have shirts, we have shorts, we have clothes for you. If you wanna get baptized today and you feel like God wants you to take that step, I'm gonna be in the back of the auditorium as we sing these next two songs and you can come talk to me. And we'd love to celebrate you taking a step in obedience of identifying with Jesus publicly for what he's already done on the inside. But I want you to understand that the kind of life that Jesus is offering, it doesn't just happen, right? It doesn't just kind of osmosis show up in our lives. It takes practice and community. This week, as we get into our city groups and you look for those practices and you dig into that, that 21 days of prayer in that little book we're going to hand out and, and you dig into scripture, if you get a chance, pick up Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. It's like Jesus kind of you know, amazing set of teachings of, of what it looks like to follow him. And what's amazing, if you, if you go read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, on the front end in Matthew 5, and on the back end in Matthew 7, Jesus uses the word practice. Whoever practices these things, he says, is like a house being built on a firm foundation. As in, it doesn't happen overnight. This is not something we dabble in. This is something we commit our lives to. And, and let me just clarify, listen, Practice does not mean try really, really hard. Some of you, you've just been kind of so saturated in a do better, try harder culture that what you hear is, I gotta, I gotta, you know, just grip my teeth a little more. And Jesus is like, no, practice as in train. So imagine, you know, that, that you're, you're, you're out of shape. I know you're not, but just imagine that you're out of shape. And, uh, and, and you decide that you want to run a marathon. 26.2 miles. Let's just imagine you're out of shape and then tomorrow you wake up and you're like, I'm going to run a marathon today. What, what's going to happen if you're out of shape and you decide tomorrow you're running 26.2 miles? You're going to die. That, that's what's going to happen. You're going to die. You're going to call your 3 a.m. friends to come get you off the side of the road. That's what's going to happen. What do you have to do? If you, if you decide today you want to run a marathon, which I don't know why anybody would, but it's just hypothetical, right? If you want to run a marathon, what do you have to do? You have to train, right? You get up tomorrow and you run a mile or a quarter of a mile. <laughs> and you have someone get an aggressive dog to chase you, to help you. You know what I mean? Like you start with little pieces. What do you do? You train towards a marathon. It doesn't happen overnight. You want to be like Jesus? You want to be with Jesus? You want to, you want to become like Jesus and do what he did? It takes a lifetime of practice. But here's the cool thing is that over and over again, right? If you kept training for that marathon, eventually you could. It might take you months, might take you a year, but as you train, you know what? Eventually you could be the kind of person that gets up and runs 26.2 miles. Way to go you. But just keep in mind, no matter how much you've trained, a marathon is always going to be hard, isn't it? It doesn't matter how much you've trained. It's still going to be hard. You're just going to be the kind of person 
that now has the capacity so that when Jesus invites us to love others, you know what, it's hard. When he, when he invites us to change something on the inside, you know what, it's hard. But the more that we train with Jesus, the more we practice in community, the more we are with Jesus, he's gonna continue to shape us and form us to where we are the kind of people that can love our enemies even when they deserve something different. Doesn't mean it's easy. We have the capacity. We're the kind of people who can be generous with our time and our energy and our finances and our, our material possessions, not because it's easy, but because we have the capacity. So again, city groups are key here, right? Practicing in community. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? It's to be with him. As we're with him, we're gonna become like him. As we become like him, we're gonna to begin to do what Jesus did. Life is hard. And following Jesus doesn't remove the hard. Life is hard. But life with Jesus is unbelievable. The best part about following Jesus is Jesus. So that right in the middle of loss, right in the middle of struggle, right in the middle of pain, there's something bigger going on on the inside. So here's your invitation this week. Super simple, okay? Daily time with God. The last three weeks we spent talking about silence and solitude, of that space with God. Just pressing into that practice. Don't give up. It's hard. Our fast starts today. Identify what you're fasting from. Bring people into it. My community knows, so there's accountability. And then we're going to practice those things with the people around us and watch God do more than we could ask or imagine, not only in our own lives, but in the world around us, so that his family grows, that our friends that, are, that don't know him yet will come to know him, not through me, but through you. I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you so much for the space that we have this morning to just hear the invitation clearly to be with you. Jesus, thank you that it's open to anyone. Thank you that there are no prerequisites, that we don't have to have our life together. We don't have to have our morality in line. There's not a list of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs and rules and regulations to follow, but it's just you. God, right now I pray for my friends in the room, if anyone's in here that has never made the decision to trust in you, to respond to you, that you desire them and they're invited to follow you, but maybe they've never responded. And Jesus, right now, I just pray that you're drawing their hearts and their minds to you, that today they make the decision, I have decided to follow Jesus. Jesus, today I'm giving you my life. Jesus, I need you to save me from my sin, my brokenness, the messed up parts of me. I need you to forgive me and set me free. And Jesus, I'm trusting that, that when I trust in you, you make me new. And this new life is the beginning of a journey with you of being with you, becoming like you, and doing what you did to share your love with the world around me. God, for the, for the followers of Jesus in the room, would you move us to a clear understanding and commitment of what it means to follow you? Not that we're trying harder, but that we are committed to practicing, to training, to being with you.
so that you can do in and through our lives what you want to do. Jesus, we want to be like you, not just on the outside, but on the inside. We want to be the kind of people who are filled with love and patience and kindness and joy and peace and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. We want to be the kind of people that love in such a way that, that people look around us and they experience relationship with us and they say, man, I don't, I don't know that I agree with what they believe. But the way that they live, who they are, there's something different. And Jesus, I pray that you use every follower of you in the room. Remind them of their mission. Remind them of their calling. That as our rabbi, we are invited to join you into every corner of the earth to make your love known and to make disciples. So Jesus, we give you this time. In these next two songs, Jesus, would you lead us to places of response? God, if there's someone who, who wants to take a step in baptism, would they do that today? If there's someone that needs to give their life to Jesus, would they, they make that decision today? And if there are other, other areas that you're moving in, God, we, we just open it up to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.